Well, good morning. I had no plans to come down this week, but uh, yeah, I was on Facebook and I saw that your pastor's colon had exploded, and I figured the least I could do is come help. So it's fun for the ranch to be in that position where we can, we can kind of partner with you guys, and uh, we've really appreciated that relationship over the years. And so, and, and I really want him to come share for our father-son retreat next weekend. So any, any propping up we can do in between, you know, is better, you know, that he can come and share with the guys that, uh, like you defined it, the, the manly weekend. We say we shoot stuff, eat stuff, and study the Bible. Not necessarily in that order, but, but maybe in that order. So it's a, it's a good time, and we invite you guys to, to come up if you're not planning on doing that. Our open house is tomorrow, and praise the Lord for, for seemingly great weather that we're headed into. But it's a frantic time of the ranch, trying to fix things and mow things and just get everything after that long winter. I mean, and on a ranch like that, there's just seems like everything falls apart when it's that much colder and you have snow sitting on it. The fence, the spring, you know, looked like somebody had run it over. And uh, somebody felt so bad for us that they're like, we'll give you wood to fix that thing. So we're going to work on that this summer as well. But it's a pleasure to come down and, and to share. I figured I'd start a, a series since I'm coming back in June. So I've been speaking out of John 13 for probably three years now. I'm not sure that I didn't speak on this section of scripture when I was here the last time, uh, maybe two years ago or something like that. So, but I get the joy of traveling around and speaking at different churches, and I can use the same message over and over, which is great. And uh, I'm almost embarrassed that I preached this that many years ago because I've learned so much in preaching that for so long that I've, I've, there's just things I missed, and it just keeps going on and on. And even part of my reason of doing this one again is that I, I looked at my notes, and I, those are terrible notes. I've got to have a reason to put those back together and build something that I can uh, share from that way and, uh, and highlight different passages of Scripture. Also, you know, I, I do appreciate Memorial Day. Both my grandfathers served in the military. My one grandfather, uh, Harry Etheridge, in intelligence, and my other grandfather was an engineer, I believe, on uh, so B-26 bombers. And uh, so it's fun to hear some of their stories and, and sad, too, you know, the things that they, they saw and stuff like that and the hard times that our country went through there in World War II. But definitely honored by, by their service and, uh, and appreciate that. But turn your Bibles, if you would, to John 13. There is so much to study here. And uh, my friend this week, he is not helping me. He handed me a D.A. Carson commentary. And it's like, it's like as big as my Bible, just on John, you know. Like that much information on John. I'm like, I don't even need to read that. My head will be full of so many things, it might explode. But I'm trying to narrate down to some themes and some things that we can think about and take away from this, this passage here. And one thing that, that I think helps me, I'm not much of a storyteller, is when I can help tell a story, like bring out the personality that's in a, in a passage. So I love themes like Nehemiah. That's another passage that I've really enjoyed speaking through because you can hear almost the, the first-hand accounts of those things that happen. So this is kind of one of those passages really fun to, to go through. It's also fun to read and to share with young kids because you can really almost act out the different parts of this passage. So read with me in John chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. I'll read through some of this and we'll talk about some of the narrative that goes back and forth between the characters in this passage. I think it's really fascinating. I hope you guys I find it fascinating as well. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
During this supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, so that's the introduction to what we're there. And picture that room for a second. Just, everybody close your eyes for a second, unless you're really opposed to pastors telling you to do this, and that's fine, you can keep it open. But, but close your eyes for a second, and just think about what the room looks like. Picture it in, in your own mind, right? I, I picture something, maybe a, a darker room, maybe a lot of, of wood, maybe, maybe it's stone there setting where, where the setting is. Uh, maybe the disciples sitting on the floor, lounging on the floor, um, because of the style that was there, a very intimate setting, um, maybe maybe quiet, maybe there's bustle outside because of the happenings of the of the Passover. So I think sometimes it helps helpful if we get a kind of understand. This is like really because so we just listen sometimes and we start to zone out and we think about a million other things. Maybe you're not ADD, but I was. Probably means I still am. And so my mind's off to a million other things. But when I have a picture to look at or something to act out or do, that really helps me. So when I can picture these disciples, it's fun to really kind of picture it. We were in Thailand this um, winter, and uh, we were doing some ministry there uh, with the human trafficking kind of thing and, and, and serving some of the people there and, and going to some of the places. And we, we went to a restaurant there, and it was a Babylonian-type restaurant, and we sat on the floor, like on, you know, and the, the table was just down low, and we thought this was quite novel. Because it's very familiar for back then. They would sit more like this around the table, low table or on the floor, serve it, and have some maybe baskets or something that you'd set some of the food on. So I got to experience that, and it was, it was, uh, it was unique. It was unique to do that, for sure. We enjoyed that time. So understand the context there in the, in the picture. You get another picture of this later in verse 25. It says, So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? That's how close it was. That's how close it was. Leaning back to Jesus, he said, hey, so who did this? That's a setting. That's a setting. Now think about who Jesus had been to these men. Think about that. Think about how crazy it had been to be with Jesus over the last couple of years. What are some things that happened with the disciples and Jesus over that time? Well, converse back before. Anybody have a, something you remember that Jesus did? That you want to say? His miracles. What's your favorite miracle? What's his, anybody have a favorite miracle? Well, think of one. Maybe I'll think of one. One um, story that, that I think is fascinating, I was reading with my boys, is, um, well, and, and I'll say a different one, is, is the parable when he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man finding a treasure in a field. And upon finding that treasure in the field, Can you imagine his excitement? He's digging along. Dink, dink. He hits something. He realizes it's a treasure. He realizes it's a massive treasure. He realizes it's such a great treasure, he covers it back up again. He takes, he goes home. Can you imagine his wife? I found this field. I want to buy it. Let's sell everything we have. He's like, are you kidding me? What kind of field is this? There's something in the field. Just just listen. We've got to sell everything. He sells everything he has to buy that field. Kingdom of Heaven, 
Our relationship with Christ is, is like that. So crazy that we do whatever it took to have a closer relationship with Him. So anyhow, the, the disciples, think of this, maybe the, the feeding of the 5,000. Think how crazy the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, if I walked in with a couple of fish and some bread and started passing it out, and by the time it got to the front, there was more than was in the back, do you think you guys would be talking? Maybe on Facebook sharing that. Look, taking pictures, selfies with the bread and the fish. I don't know, but it would really shake things up. Well, imagine then Lazarus. My brother's died. Okay, let's go see. He comes walking out of the tomb. That would probably shake things up too. And then there's the walking on the water. Can you imagine being out you know, in the water and this crazy thing happens? Get out of the boat. Come with me. He's walking on the water. We get to do that around here. It's not that big of a deal. It's called wintertime. You walk on the water. Lake Erie, it doesn't matter. They were telling me about the, the lake fishing they do down at the state park down there. So Jesus who's done crazy things with these guys, seemingly to us and to them, completely changed their lives. He'd meant so much to them. He comes, and I think by now, they had realized that Jesus was special. This is far beyond the first time when he had said, fish on that side of the boat, and the, the nets fill up. We're past that now. They'd realized Jesus was special. But they were still understanding their relationship with him, and learning to trust Him. We'll see that in the, in the dialogue that follows. But He washes their feet. Can you imagine somebody washing your feet? I mean, just think if, if the pastor was out there in the lobby and as you came in, he was like, oh, I want to wash your feet. I bet some of you would say the same thing that one of the disciples is about to say. You can't wash my feet. You're the pastor. What are you doing washing my feet? And you haven't even seen my feet. And you don't want to see my feet. Now back to the setting, think about what the streets were like back then. Think about what the feet would have been like. This is the time of the Passover. Somebody mentioned the other day when I was talking about this passage about them, you know, the, the sacrifice, the animals that were there, the, the blood, the, the gunk. This was not like, you know, take you know, shoes off and it, you know, probably taking a shower that morning. I had socks on and we're pretty protective of our feet these days. They had sandals probably. They're walking through the streets, muddy. It's down and says, I'm going to wash your feet. It was a lowly thing to do. And so here's the dialogue that, that we start with. And he came to Simon Peter and he said, this is verse 6, if you're following along, do follow along. You'll want to go back to this and, and read it and, and know it. Um, and he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Okay, so kind of, you know, back in that setting in the room, kind of picture this in your mind, the little dialogue. Do you wash my feet? probably now the other disciples are feeling like they should have said that first, right? Oh, yeah, well, just let Jesus wash my feet. So he's like, he waits to him, though, right? He doesn't bring it up in the first. Say, why are you washing our feet? He waits to him, embarrass the other guys. I don't know, maybe. But um, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers him, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share in me. Right? Little shoots back, right? Well, well, how about this? Well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share in me. What does he respond with? We see the next part there. If I do not wash your feet, you have no share in me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. So he kind of goes the other way. He says, well, well okay, if it's, if it's that important, just wash me all over. Are any of us given to over-excitement? We go from one extreme to the other extreme. We do this in a lot of ways. 
We do this sometimes in outward religious exercise. You know, we go from being a heathen and we think, well, we can't even drive a car. We, we go from, you know, okay, the Lord's convicting us about our dress. Now we'll, you know, overdo it. And I think he's getting that a little bit. Just, just, just wait, just listen. Just get, get the heart of what I'm saying here. Don't overreact. And that's what Jesus says there. Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed again except for his feet. But he's completely clean. And you are clean. So he speaks to him. He says, you are clean. I've done a work in you. I don't need to wash your whole body, but just your feet. Just your feet. That's us sometimes. I think sometimes we want to go back to square one. We're like, no, no, understand. God did a work in you. He saved you. He's keeping you. He says, no, you don't need to get saved all over again. Understand he, he's going he's to protect that work he's done in you. But that doesn't need, mean there is not pruning that needs to happen. And we're going to get to that in, in chapter 15, right? Where he prunes the branches. He, he, he works with them. There's, there's times that aren't comfortable, but that's going to help us in our relationship. Then he mentions, but not every one of you. Who's he making a reference to? I think Judas. Not every, not all of you are clean. And then we go into the time where he talks about, uh, for he knows who has betrayed him, and he has said, not all of you are clean. Then in verse 12, more of the dialogue, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. Now nobody else spoke up at that point. They were all like, okay, glad Simon said it, glad Peter said it. We'll let him run his mouth. We'll just sit here quietly. Let him wash our feet. If we say anything, we're liable to get a talking to as well. Some of us are that way. We, we feel it. We think it. But we don't say it, right? And then when the one person, the sucker, says it, hey, then we make fun of him for saying the, the same thing we were thinking in our hearts, right? I think maybe some of the disciples were thinking that same thing. And there's a clue that way. And he says in verse 12, when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, I am. So so he says to them, it is crazy that I'm washing your feet. Peter's like, yeah, I knew it was crazy. That's why I said that. I, it's not in the Bible. I'm just, I'm just kind of adding some, maybe the thoughts that were going through the, their heads there. For I am so. I'm your teacher and Lord. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, the Great Commission is about to come out of this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a master greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. That's for us, right? That's, that's why this, this passage has really come alive to me that question of like, Donnie, do you, do you wash other people's feet? Do you love that much? Not always. I'll just stand up here and say it right now, right before fire come down and get me. I'm no picture of perfection. Not even close. I like to get home and get on the computer or on whatever. I would say I would turn on the TV, but this time of year when the leaves come out, we only get like one channel every now and then, so it's really, I'm not struggling too much with that right now. But there's those comfort in life that we want to go after those things. If you've been on a long day at work, even if it's not been that long, it's just, we just want to, and I have three young boys, four, two, and one. I rounded a little bit, but approximately that age. 
And so there's plenty to do. There's plenty of foot washing that needs to be done. Or hole washing, or bottom washing, or uh, dishes wash. We don't have a dishwasher, so you know, it seems like they just grow all day long, you know. Tanya washes them, and they still grow. It just doesn't matter. There's lots of opportunities to do that. And, and Jesus is saying to them, I've done this seemingly lowly thing as an example for you guys. I think even on Memorial Day weekend, this is where we all want to cut back, right? We all want to lounge around and, and eat stuff, and maybe you want to shoot stuff. I don't know. But it's also still, every moment, an opportunity to work out our salvation. It's an opportunity to, to love other people, to live this commission. So let's read on. It's not done. The dialogue's not done. It, it keeps going. So think about how practical this is. And I love that it's in here so that we can kind of relate to the disciples, because I relate to the disciples. The, the questions, the, the remarks back, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating to me that way. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. The Scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me. Um, I'm telling you now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I... Am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So there's a sending and a, and a going and all that, and he's leading up to telling the disciples what? I mean, he's mentioned this before, but he's telling them he's leaving. Tell him he's leaving. He's also telling them about the um, deception that's happening there, that he was about to be betrayed. One of the twelve. I mean, 12, that, that's like your own family. I mean, we would probably feel a little frustrated if somebody left our presence here and, and, and tried to betray us, much less, you know, this close group that had been there. This was, this was difficult stuff. We know it's difficult. In the next verse in 21, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was, what? Troubled in his spirit. This is something I had not caught before. It says that he's troubled in his spirit there. In chapter 14, in the, in the opening verse, it's, he says to his disciples, what? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And one author, pastor that I was reading, said his disciples were troubled because Jesus was troubled. This guy who's been a leader, and I can imagine just hanging out with Jesus all day. I mean, talk about a rock, right? He was troubled. And so, you know, even this week, you feel the pain when your pastor is feeling troubled, you know. You're feeling troubled. Maybe you question what you're reading next. Maybe it's like, I should not eat this piece of pizza. It should be right there next to him. So a lot's going on. So Jesus says he's troubled in his spirit. When he had gone out, and this is after the things that happened there, and you can read through those things, he talks about uh, the deception and stuff like that, and Satan entering Jesus' heart and, and that part. It says, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. This glorifying thing is important to me, and it's going to come up, and this is what I'll preach on more if I get to come back, if I make it through the service. See, is later in the passage, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you, so prove to my, be my disciples, that you bear fruit, and the fruit is love. And so a question, because this understanding of my purpose in life is really, you know, I appreciated Hunter um, standing up here, you know, working through the announcements. 
And I appreciate you even loving him to give him that position to, to do that. And to sometimes make mistakes. And afterwards you should tell him, that was fantastic. Even though you tripped over a word that I probably would have tripped over too. Because we begin these opportunities to serve and to love and where people have invested in us. I remember when I was his age, I traveled with Lou Starrett, the Sermon on the Mount. He'd get to some church and say, hey, why don't you share your testimony this morning? And it started in little things like giving announcements to the point where, hey, why don't you preach this morning? Well, hey, why don't you come and share? And that's how it starts. And so sometimes we get so perfectionistic about the way we do things that we can't let anybody who's not perfect share with us and share to us. So I just I want to mention that this morning because I think it's, it's great. But understanding life purpose, and back to that when I was your age, and understanding, like, what am I about? Okay, I was, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, and, and, but, what, but what am I going to be passionate about? And then I read these scriptures and stuff about glorify God. That is my purpose on earth, to glorify God with all that I am. Whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Okay, I got that. What does that mean? And usually if you ask your group, what does it mean to glorify God? They're like, uh, because you need something to go with that. And so they're talking about glorifying God, and Jesus is saying, I glorify God, I, I have, I had, I have, I will, past, present, and future that way. And then he starts to put some flesh on this to, to kind of build this a little bit. But he brings in this thing about glorifying God, which is followed up nicely in, in chapter 15. And he says, little children, yet a little while, and I am with you. You will... See, you will seek me just as I said to you, to the Jews. Now you also, now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment, this is verse 34, 14, of uh, 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What, what's the push washing? What's that about? What was it an example of? It was an example of love. And we, we get this. So my chief end, as some people have said, my chief goal, the purpose of my life should be to glorify God. What does that look like? The bearing of fruit. It looks like love. That's our commission. And it looks like humble acts. Like what? Like washing feet. Like that lowly, like washing dishes, like raking somebody's yard, like serving in the fire department, like doing something here to love people by maybe you're handing out bulletins or or cleaning the church or, or whatever. That's quite a commission for Memorial Day service. Those that have come, we've recognized that have served us. We get to serve other people. And live our purpose out of that. And that's the fun thing. Later in the passage, he's going to say, this is your joy. This, my joy is going to be in your, and your joy is what? Going to be full. So I'm going to be, I'm going to have more joy when I live my life purpose of glorifying God by loving other people, and that looks like washing people's feet. I know how to do that. I understand my purpose. And so for young people in the next generation, as we pass on these values and we share, we need to be clear about what we're passionate about. If you're not passionate about this, how do other people see that and know that? In other words, it says people will know this by, by this, by this thing, by this one thing, people will know 
that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. What a commission. What a challenge. What clarity to what we should be about as a church and a people and as families. There's a lot of things to be upset about these days. And sometimes we spend so much time being upset about the things that don't matter and miss the things that we should be passionate about. Now, somebody else missed this. Somebody else missed this. We're not done with the dialogue. This is fun. This is, this is where it's coming. And this is, a, I had no clue of this stuff when I started sharing about this several years ago, but then it started to come alive. And uh, Simon Peter said to him, right? Simon Peter says to him, right after he'd given this epic challenge and commission, so Lord, where are you going? Right? It's like completely misses the point. Not like, so tell us, how do we love, you know? Like, we're sitting there with Jesus now, I'd be like, okay, so how should I love? How should I, he's like, wait a minute, back up a minute. You said you were going somewhere. I don't like that. I enjoy our relationship together. And so read that, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Not good enough for Peter. He, he dives right into this. He's dig- he didn't learn the lesson the first time, right, with the foot washing thing, like maybe if I open my mouth, Jesus is going to put me in my place. But he does it again, which I'm thankful for because it, it gets some things out that, that maybe we would have, have, have thought but not said. Jesus said to him, uh, oh, Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you? Kind of a question. And he doesn't, he doesn't leave the question, like it's usually good to just leave the question with Jesus and let him answer it. He kind of follows up with more. He's going to prove himself. Who does that? We do. Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, you will lay down my life for me? For, you're going to lay your life down for me? You're going to deny me three times by the time the rooster crows in the morning. What a humbling statement. Peter, you missed it. It's not about what you can do for me. It's about what I'm doing in your life. And you get to pass that on by loving other people. I'm leaving, Peter. My work here is done. I can't stay. Why? Because it's more glorifying to my Father that I return. Because that was the purpose of my life. was not just to come and serve you, Peter. was to leave you an example of love. To wash your feet so you'd have an example and to leave. And he starts first chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We know that this was very troubling to his disciples. This is a lot for them to take. I mean, this is pretty deep stuff. And they didn't get it in 14. I wish we could just preach right on, but I, I won't really preach an hour and a half. I want to go over a few verses on love and a few points. If you're a bullet point person, you can have a few bullet points for, for reading later. The goal is to glorify God. Understand that. Uh, young people especially, you know, some of you have heard this, you know that, and you have a, you have a good, uh, you know, leadership team here that preaches the word, so I'm sure you've heard that, um, but, but we need to share it to the next generation, to be, they're always looking, you know, it's my little kids, they're always, you can tell, they're, they're fascinated by the things that I'm fascinated in, I'm a, I'm a volunteer fireman, and we had a, a training yesterday, and we had the fire trucks out, and we drove by, and Dad, why are the fire trucks out? What were you doing with them? What, what, you know, they're just fascinated by that stuff. But am I also passing on these values that I'm fascinated by how I can glorify God and how I can love other people? And am I 
passing that on. The goal is to glorify God. Uh, Jesus washed their feet as an example. We should be clear about that. It takes humility. It took humility for Jesus to get down on his knees, his hands and feet pretty much, and, and to wash these dirty, grimy little feet. It takes courage. Sometimes I've thought about washing people's feet. i thought about doing a service to wash people's feet, and I even thought, I don't know how that would go. You know, and what if they told me no? You know, I asked Pastor Matt, can I wash your feet? And he's like, no, not in front of these people. You know, it takes courage. It takes courage to love other people. It sometimes will be met with hostility. He washes their feet, and what do they do? They question it. Have you ever loved somebody, and they're like, what are you doing? Don't do that for me. I'm fine. I got, I got this. It takes humility to have someone wash your feet, too. Let people love you. Encourage that. Praise them. Let me read a few verses on love. This is kind of the point, right? Out of 1 Corinthians. Famous chapter. The part you know. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It's convicting. It does not insist on its own way. That's also convicting. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, we need to read that. I think we need to read that on a daily basis. Probably when we get up in the morning, when we, and probably halfway through the day at work sometimes, you know. And reminded about those things. Reminded of our commission. Reminded of what Jesus left as his example for us. The verse I read, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. I want to read it in entirety. So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Another verse on this. Psalms 29.1, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord and splendor of His holiness. That's all I have. That's all I have. I hope that dialogue between the disciples is interesting to you. You've got to keep reading it, though. It, did, it didn't stop. It didn't stop. Let me leave you with just a couple little hints at the, at the future. He says to them in, in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He says to them in 16, I have, first verse, I have said these things to keep you from falling away. I love that part. I mean, he like really, he says the, this talk, I want to say pep talk, it like, that like makes it too simple. This commission, this is, this is the end, this is the upper room. This is before a lot of crazy things happen, right? He sits down with his disciples and says, guys, I want to make sure you've got some things straight before I leave. I'm leaving. And we know from the dialogue back and forth that they didn't, they, even though they'd spent so much time with Jesus, they had some more that they needed to understand before he left. The beautiful thing it says uh, later, they say, we didn't understand what you're saying, but, but now we do understand what you're saying. And I think it's only the work of God to see the difference in the disciples' hearts as they go from not understanding to understanding. From trying to tell Jesus how great they are and what they can do and how they can lay down their life and going and saying, wow, we understand where you're going. Now, even on Pentecost weekend and stuff like that, understand 
that he said these things to them. Why? Why was he leaving? And he said these words in verse six, in chapter 16, verse 7. Turn there if you can. This is a great way to finish. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I will... If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send you. I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What a what a what a promise! That this is this is even more for me significant. Get this right? Is that they were with Jesus? They didn't want Jesus to leave, and Jesus tells them what? It is better that I leave. It is better that I leave, that you have the Holy Spirit to be your helper, to intercede, like Romans says, with groanings too deep for words. In Romans it says. And then how do we relate that today? That's our situation. That's where we're at. We have the Holy Spirit with us. That's the relationship we have. And that is actually better than Jesus if He just stayed on earth. Now that's hard, right? Because I'm like the disciples. They say in the next chapter, they say, show us the Father and it's enough for us. They're sitting there with Jesus and they tell him, well, just, just bring in the Father. It's like me saying, you know, or you're saying, Donnie, this is good stuff. You know, it's, you got some points there. If, if Jesus would just come walking in the back, we would believe you. Anybody feel tempted to, to really like, yeah, that would be can we do that? Right? Disciples, they were with Jesus and they still struggled to believe. Right? They still struggled. They still asked for something greater. They were sitting there with Jesus. And Jesus says to him there in that, in that dialogue, how can you say, show us the Father? It's humbling. It's humbling to see that interaction. So we, I, Donnie Rosie, can relate to that because I would be like, yeah, if Jesus came walking in, that would really help my faith. Jesus says, look, it's better that I left. I leave you the Holy Spirit. We have the same situation the disciples had all those years ago. And so for this week, as we go on to our our barbecues and um, our celebrations and our times of memory, times of family, um, it would be my encouragement to look for ways to wash people's feet. And to look for ways to understand the Holy Spirit within us. Things like praying. Things like studying His Word. Meditating on His Word. Sharing His Word with other people. Those are ways that we can use to get to know Christ. He says in in chapter 15, abide my Word. He gives us this as a way for us to abide with Him and get to know His character and His person. So that's practical, and I hope that's something we can take home with us.